today we're going to be continuing on in our series in the book of, of John entitled The Word. Uh, we're going to be going to chapter 15 and verse 9. Um, and so that'll be on the screen or if you want to turn your Bibles there um, or look at your, your devices. Um, sorry for the awkward moment here. I just worship was so, such a sweet sense of worship this morning that I, I just don't want to. Father, we come before you. And we're just thankful. We're thankful for times of worship like that. We're thankful for your love for us. That you guide our steps, that you direct us. That you hold us in your hand. We thank you that you're the rock, the refuge, the eternally divine constant in this universe. That regardless of what may come or happen, you hold all things together and use all things for good. Lord, as we come to this passage, I pray that you help us to remember that when our enemy may try to use shame or condemnation or legalism, that it would not find a hold in our lives because of the truth of your love for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, this morning, as we go into John chapter 15, we're talking about obedience. Uh, and Jesus talking about obedience. And, and this is one of those things that I think as, as human beings we tend to struggle with sometimes. Um, you know, and it starts even as like a child, like trying to push the boundaries of what we're called, our parents tell us we can do or can't do. You know, like, oh, don't go this far away from the house. And like, okay, but what's, what's just beyond that, right? Um, Anything that we're told to be expected or, or needed, sometimes there's just something within us that has a, a tendency to kind of resist that. And so we're going to be examining some of these things, uh, beginning in verse 9. Uh, and it starts off here, and this is again Jesus uh, during the Last Supper on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, some of his last teachings to the disciples. Starts off in verse 9 by saying, As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. I just want to pause there because I think this, this statement is absolutely profound. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. As God the Father has loved Jesus the Son. As the way that he spoke from, from heaven at times saying, this is my Son, my beloved, whom I have approved. That, that love that God has for, for Jesus, the, I, I think it's so hard to even fathom this, right? Because we all have aspects of, of love within our, our lives. If we're married, we have a spouse that, that we love. And it's this, this love that we choose even through, through difficulty at times. And if we're parents or children, there's like this, this sense of love between you know, parents and, and kids and frustrations and 
But even then, I think any one of us can think of like imperfect examples of how that love is betrayed or turns to hurt and pain. I don't think that, you know, an earthly sense of love, any sense of, of love that we have, we can come up with the best example and, and still yet think of examples in life that are distorted. But, but here what this is saying is the Father has loved me and, and, and we try to grasp what this actually means by, by considering it in an earthly context and I think it's impossible to do it. Because I, I've known my parents for a number of decades. Um, and I love them and they love me. But uh, I, I don't talk to them all the time. I don't call them every day, right? And, and yet again, this is saying, as the Father has loved Jesus. And, and what blows my mind is we have this love that we experience with our parents for decades. We have this love that we experience with our spouses for hopefully decades, with our children for hopefully decades. And, and what he's saying here is that God has been in existence from eternity past. There, there was no beginning. That's literally what it means when he says, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. Like, like I'm there before and I'm here after. And so it's easy for us sometimes to get the, the concept of eternity going forward when it comes to heaven. Like, we're in this moment right now, we may not know what it looks like, but we're going to live forever. But we can all, like, point back to, like, when we were born. And before that, we didn't exist. It's not the case for God. And so in this sense, being the Alpha and the Omega and existing from eternity past, God, the Father, and Jesus as one with the Holy Spirit have been in love and communion and fellowship and connection with each other for, for untold amounts of time. And, and absolutely in, in intimacy, knowing one another to the point where Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So it's not some kind of a broken relationship between Jesus and his dad. But, but the perfect relationship for all of eternity, like creating all things together. Last week I talked a little bit about, you know, doing some projects with my dad and, you know, whether or not I chose to do them or, or not. But, but Jesus and God the Father were like, let's make hummingbirds. How cool would that be? Fly backwards and forwards and sideways and actually just like hover in midair. How cool would that be? And then let's put them in really pretty flashy colors, like the ruby, you know, throated one with the, the green, the iridescent green and, and the red at its throat. And then man was kind of like, that's really cool. Let's make a helicopter out of metal. <laughs> right? <laughs> but Jesus and, and the Father and the Holy Spirit, like, literally were like, let's make all of this together and then let's make humankind to, like, enjoy this together. And uh, they messed it up, so let's go rescue them. And they're doing all of this together in perfect unity and perfect love. And this is what Jesus is saying. The love that my Father has loved me, I love you. We need to grasp that more. 
It's not the love of a dad. And I think this happens so many different times when we get into this relationship with God and we continue to judge ourselves by our own standards or by the standards of the world or by the standards of, of some established religion and not by God's nature. Because what happens is we were rescued and we're saved and we're grateful and we're thankful that, that we're no longer heading to hell. And, and yet, we continue to judge ourselves and say, I'm a screw-up. I'm a mess. I'm a failure. And, and God, in his graciousness and his mercy, and we don't say it, but what we actually mean is his pity has saved us. He's looked at us and seen how miserable we are, and, and so therefore, he had compassion upon us and saved us. And we can walk through life in that, in salvation, but we can walk through life with this ability that, that actually distorts our sense of identity in, in who God has then saved us to be as his children. We walk through life with this sense of condemnation, this sense of shame, this sense of being a failure, and, and this sense of God loves me, but maybe he doesn't like me. Which then can actually feed into more shame and can feed into more temptation and can feed into us continuing to walk in a way that we're not supposed to walk in. What this says right here, as the Father has loved Jesus, He loves us. This is what it means when it says that we're washed white as snow from sin through forgiveness. As we're adopted into the family of God, that, that, that we could be red with all of our sin. And yet through the forgiveness of God, through our repentance and, and the grace and the work at the cross, it's wiped away. In fact, the, the whole concept of it is, is, was first put um, in the Old Testament in Egypt through the ten plagues. Right? And you go through the plagues one through nine and you have all kinds of crazy bugs and crazy frogs and I'm heading on a backpacking trip this week and I hope I don't see those, uh, those plagues. Um, but you get to the last one and the angel is going to come through and the firstborn is going to die in Egypt. And what they're told is that they need to sacrifice a, a lamb and then to put the blood on the doorpost to, to have a covering and, and then the angel would see that covering and just pass by. It didn't matter who was in the house at that point. It was covered. And that was pointing forward to Jesus being the sacrificial lamb, the, the perfect sacrifice where he would offer up his life, his blood at the cross, in order to pay for our sins so that we would be covered by him. That's really what the washing away is. It is a washing away. Scripture calls it a washing away, but really it is a, a covering by Jesus so that our relationship with God is now dependent upon Jesus' relationship with God the Father. That's why he says, as the fathers love me, I love you. We're now in this relationship that Jesus had with God the Father, that we now have with God the Father. That isn't this, 
He loves me because he says he loves me, but I don't know if he likes me. Or man, is he frustrated with me sometimes because I keep doing the same knuckleheaded things. It's not like an earthly relationship. It's like the relationship between Jesus and God the Father. That is the love that we have. We need to hold on to that. We need to grasp that. We need to to pray that this would be an absolute revelation. Because it then changes the way that we live. Which then fits with the rest of this passage. Because then he says, remain in my love. How do we remain in this love? How do we stay in this love? The very next verse says this. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Oh, this is one of those passages where it's like you get this really cool feeling of like, okay, as the fathers love Jesus, he loves us. But then you switch to this statement right away that if, if you keep my commands, if, if you do a good job, is one way that we could read this. And we're going to go through the passage today and show that that's not what it's saying explicitly. Because our legalistic sense wants to be able to say, well, if we check these boxes, then we're obeying and then God loves us. But this isn't the first time that Jesus has said this. He says this in verse 21 of chapter 14. So again, the same conversation, uh, just a different chapter. He says, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. I will also love him and reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, the one who betrayed him, uh, said to him, Lord, how is it you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who does not love me will not keep my words. The words that you hear is not mine, but is from the father who sent me. Again, I I think it's really interesting here. Jesus is saying, like, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands. And then one of his disciples says, well, how are you going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? And his response is, if you love me, you obey my commands. And if you don't love me, you won't obey my commands. And, And so what he's really saying here in this sense is, if we accept Jesus Christ as Lord, as the Messiah, as the one like, who died for us, as, as God incarnate on this world, dying for us, for forgiveness, if, if we believe that truth and we choose to submit our lives to him, that is an act of love. That's an act of obedience. That's an act of submission instead of rebellion which would be the opposite. Instead, it would be saying, I don't believe that he died for me. I don't believe that he was God. I believe he was a myth or a good teacher or a good man or whatever it was, but I don't believe that he is God. I don't believe that I need forgiveness. I believe that I'm a good person and we'll see how the outcome goes. Like like all of those things, you see the the difference between uh, obeying and in this sense of obeying, really understand it's the submission to Jesus Christ as Lord. He's my Lord, I'm going to obey him. He's not my Lord, I'm going to do what I want to do. Maybe I'll pick and choose what he says 
because maybe it's good advice because he was a good teacher. And so there's this distinction that he's making uh, as he is saying this to Judas, uh, the disciple who, who did not betray him, uh, by making it clear that the one who has the commands and keeps them is the one who loves him. Again, it's kind of a tough thing to kind of like, I think, accept this at times. Because we really like the idea of God is grace, and God is mercy, and God is forgiving. And all of those things are true. We're, we're saved not by works. That is true. Galatians, in chapter 3, he, he's talking to the Galatians. He's like, are you so foolish to believe that you're saved by grace, that now you think that you're saved, you have to do a good enough job in order to hold on to your salvation? Paul says that's foolish in chapter 3. And so all of those things are true, and we need to hold on to those things firmly as we hold on to we are loved by Jesus the way that the Father loves Jesus. And at the same time, understand that Jesus is saying that if we do love him, we will obey. We will keep these commandments. The word keep in Strong's is G5083, which is tereo. It means to guard, keep safe, keep, observe, and follow. This word tereo is the same word used in the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. Where it says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe. Teaching them to obey. Teaching them to keep everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So again, the whole concept of making disciples isn't just going and saying, do you believe that your sins are forgiven by Jesus Christ? Yes. Cool. Do you believe that Jesus is God and that he's your Lord? Yes. Awesome. Okay. You're saved. That's not what Jesus is saying here. He's saying baptize them but then teach them to obey. Teach them to observe what I have commanded you. Again, this feels hard sometimes because if we look at our own lives and, and the mess of our own lives at times with the different temptations that we face, the different difficulties, the, the way that we respond out of our flesh and circumstances that we wish that we wouldn't have, where we can sit there, and, and this is why in my prayer at the beginning, I was praying that God would protect us from condemnation, from shame, from false accusations of the enemy that would say, failure, 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 because you're not living up to God's commands. We can't go down that path. But yet at the same time, we have to acknowledge this sense that Jesus says, keep my commands. And then he says this. It starts to feel a little heavy, but then he says this. I've told you these things, and so this is in verse 11. If you keep my, verse 10, we'll go back to John 15, 10 and 11. If you can meet my commands, you remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands remained in his love. I've told you these things that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. In other words, he's saying that, that, that our joy to be uh, complete, um, this complete is the Greek word teleos. It means fullness. It means completion. It would be like we're charging the battery on our phone and we want it to be 100% full. Like, like absolutely all that it was meant to be. 
Jesus is saying this joy comes when we keep his commands. In other words, it's an integral part of discipleship. It's an integral part of God's design. I was uh, looking at some workout shirts uh, this week and just kind of going down the rabbit hole of like, what are some different like Christian workout shirts that I can like wear when, you know, I'm getting sweaty so that I can change and put something else on. Um, and I found this company that's called LRX. And I was just like, that's kind of odd, you know, what, what, is, what does that mean, LRX? Um, and, and the company's, what it stands for uh, is Live Prescribed. And, and so their entire slogan, their entire motto is this aspect of live as prescribed, do as prescribed. This is the way it was meant to be, follow these steps, and then you get this result. And so what they're saying is that God has created this whole world. He's created everything that lives and breathes. He's created us. And he's chosen to be in a relationship with us. And then he says, this is how this relationship works. This is how you were designed to exist in an intimate relationship with God, submitted to him as Lord. This is where you find fullness of joy if you live as God has designed if you live the way that he's prescribed you to live, then you have fulfillment. Then you have joy. That's what Jesus is saying here, that, that if we love him, we obey his commands, and if we obey his commands, then we have our joy actually in completion because now we're actually living our lives the way that they were designed to live, the way that they were designed to work. And I don't know how many times in my life that I've tried to do different projects with things that weren't designed to do that. Right? I remember, like, we were working on the garden um, at our house, and I had to move, like, a whole bunch of dirt. We were just doing this. Moving a whole bunch of dirt, and um, I happened to have a, a sledgehammer. And, and so we were building this retaining wall, and I had the sledgehammer out there because I would put, like, some dirt down, and then I would take the sledgehammer and, like, you know, pack it down, right? So there'd be no air bubbles and, and stuff like that. But what we were doing is kind of, like, pulling this hill, like, down to go and, and fill it up and create this nice slope so Angie could put flowers up and, and everything like that. So uh, what I need to do is actually, like, cut out the hill more, right? I've got a shovel in my garage that's like 50 feet away. But instead I take the sledgehammer and I'm like pounding the side of the hill over and over again, trying to like loosen up dirt and get the dirt to fall down. Okay, here's a root. And so let me like pound at the root. And, and all of a sudden like my hands started hurting, my back started hurting. I'm getting exhausted as I'm putting this 15 pound sledge over and over again. And I'm like, there's a shovel for that. <laughs> right? How many times do we do that in our own life? We're designed to follow God. We're designed to obey him and the way that he's designed us to be in our life. But if we go off on our own and say, well, here's this tool, here's this implement, here's this me that God has created for a purpose, but yet let me go and use it for a different purpose. It's going to be ineffective. 
we're going to get tired. We're going to find frustrations. There's going to be pain in our life. And, and I've done this with some things, and it breaks. Right? When you try to use a knife as a screwdriver, <laughs> then you need a new life, right? It breaks. There's things in our life that become broken when we start doing things that we're not designed to do. We start living in a way that God has not designed us to live. Which is why Jesus is saying, you have full joy when you live as prescribed, when you live as designed. And so this obeying of commands is, is not some megalomaniac upstairs saying, ooh, I created them. They have to do everything that I tell them to do. But rather he's saying, this is how I designed your life to be. And your life's designed to be absolutely phenomenally amazing with me for all of eternity as my children with purpose, eternal purpose. In fact, I want to use you to build my kingdom. I could do it myself, but I want to do it with you. And so that's what he offers us. And as we obey the commands, that's where we begin to recognize our place before God, that he is our creator, that he is uh, our Lord, that obedience is not this thing that we're doing resignedly because we're told that this is what we have to do, but rather we're doing it because this is the way that it works best. This is the way that has eternal impact. This is the way that we actually find complete, full, 100% joy as we walk through these things. But yet we have to consider it and continue to do it in reverence of God being God. Again, we like to lean on that whole, he has grace, he has mercy. And if we follow that and we ignore the fact that he is God and that he is holy, that's when we start getting lost off into the sides of, well, he's okay with this sin, or oh, he's going to understand this, or I'm imperfect, but he has grace. We can wander off into the weeds in that direction. On the other hand, if we sit over here in this next passage, it is a passage that people will point to and start leaning in this different direction, and they forget the grace, they forget the mercy, they forget the love where Jesus says, I love you the way the Father loves me. And over here is, holy God wants to smite me. He's waiting for me to screw up. He's just disciplining me. My life is difficult because God doesn't like me. When Scripture says that he actually uses the difficulty because he loves us to help us to grow. That's the balance between the two. But we can't, we'll get into the weeds over here of condemnation and hypocrisy and judging if we only see God as holy God wants to smite me. And so as we read this passage, again, we have to take both sides, place them firmly and centrally on the foundation of Scripture, not getting off into the weeds. Because in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16, it says this, My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, this is Paul talking, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Again, we can get into the weeds over here. Fear and trembling. God wants to smite me. That's not what fear and trembling here means. It means a holy reverence. That as we look to walk in a relationship with God, we just don't see him as buddy Jesus with two thumbs up. 
But we see him as the one who spoke all things into existence. The one who's going to be sitting on the judgment seat in the book of Revelation. The one to whom we must give an account. The one to whom knows every aspect of our lives from the inside and out. He is going to be the judge, but he's also the one that fully knowing all of those things said, I want you. And I love you. And I'm here to help you. This fear and trembling is the holy reverence that my friend Jesus could hit me with a lightning bolt right now if he wanted to. But I trust him. And if a lightning bolt did hit me, I trust him. Right? That's what it means is, is we don't take him in vain. We don't treat him lightly. But we also don't treat the relationship that he's given to us lightly. We can do that as well. We can sit there and, and feel this sense of like having to be holy, having to be perfect, having to get everything right, so much to the point that we miss out on where he says, I call you friends. And we're going to get to that in our passage this morning. So we walk out our salvation with this fear and trembling, with this holy reverence, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. To understand this a, a little bit more clearly, it's helpful to look at the original languages. Uh, again, uh, the word where it says work out your own salvation uh, is the Strong's number G2716. 2716. Uh, which means to perform or accomplish out of something. It's to, to be done with thoroughness. Uh, in other words, it's working out of something that's already been begun. It's, it's taking out, here, this is kind of started, now you, know, you go on from there. That's why I'm saying work out your salvation. So that salvation uh, is there. Now continue to work out of this. It's that concept that we talked about last week where, um, and I forget the, the passage, but it says we have the foundation laid in Jesus Christ, in salvation. Not by works, but by grace. We're saved through that. Now, what do we build on top of that? Is it with gold and silver and precious gems? Or do we build with hay and straw and stubble? Like, like the salvation is set. The project is begun. Now, work that out. How, how does your life reflect what is then done within this? And so we build on, on top of that. Um, but if he, or we already talked about that, sorry. It, it's a cooperation with the work of the Holy Spirit. Not done within our own strength. This is clearly shown um, also in this original language um, because in verse 13 it says, It is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Now we already looked at the word work, right? The, the katergazomai, which is to accomplish something that's already begun, you know, to work out our salvation. In the original language, though, the word work where it says it's God working in you, working according to his good purpose, is a completely different word. 
It's Strong's 1754, Energeo, which means to put forth power, to, to cause to work. So what it's saying here is that we're called to, to work out uh, our own salvation with a holy reverence for God because it is God who's putting forth the power in us to give us effectiveness for this work. This passage is not sitting here and saying, okay, I'm going to give you a push on a bicycle. Good luck. Watch out for rocks. Watch out for ravines. Make sure you stop at stop signs. And if you tip over, I already did what I was supposed to do. It's not that at all. It's, it's saying that, that God has given us the salvation for us to then work out of, but then he is the one who is giving port forth the power working in us and giving us the will the desire even to work out his purpose within our life he's so gracious that not only does he rescue us out of the blindness of sin and death where we can never rescue ourselves we could never be good enough to earn his forgiveness to earn his love but because of his love he rescues us out of that and then not only that he says okay now that we've gotten you out of those chains now the real work begins and he chills us into this masterpiece as he works within our life according to his purposes and the concept of being obedient is just that continual humble submission to him saying, whatever you need to work out. If I need to work on this sin in my life, I need to repent of this sin, I need to work with others, I, I need to get rid of this because it's what you're getting rid of my life. This hobby over here that's become a distraction and you're convicting me of it, I humbly submit to that. And Lord, I'm obedient to whatever you're calling me to do. You're calling me to step out and do something that I'm not comfortable with? Okay. I'm going to be obedient to that, trusting you as my friend, as my father, as the holy God that spoke all things into existence, that works out all things for my good. All right, I'm going to do this because it's the best thing, that, that my joy has a fullness, that Greek word teleos, it, it's 100% complete because I'm living as you've designed me to live. And the desire to even do that is what Philippians is saying is God has given to us. The desire to pursue after that, that he provides the very energy and power in order to give us the ability to work according to his purpose. And again, it's something that, that's already begun, that we're continuing to be faithful in. This is what Philippians 1, 6 uh, says. He says, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Again, that word teleos is there, completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It continues to show us this God, the perfect vine dresser that we talked about, the perfect farmer that, that sits there and prunes what needs to be pruned out of our life so that we might grow and have more abundant fruit within our lives, that we might be healthier. He works on getting rid of, of things within us as we abide in the vine that is Jesus, and all along he gives us the desire and the ability to be able to submit to that work. Because we can never do it on our own strength. Again, our human tendency is to turn directions, commandments into something subjective. And the temptation is to do that throughout Scripture. All right, the, uh, the speed limit. 
right? What's the acceptable window with the speed limit? I'm not going to ask you, right? But, but I'm guessing like some people are like, speed limit is speed limit. I don't go above it. I'm okay going below it. Anyway, <laughs> sometimes that frustrates me. Okay, but, but yet, okay, then there's some people that are like, okay, five miles an hour. You know, actually, anybody okay with five miles an hour? All right, that's kind of an acceptable thing. Nine miles an hour, because that's, yep, all right, it's kind of under 10. All right, we could keep going, right? But all of that becomes subjective. The sign literally means what? The limit is 55. The limit is 70 right? And, and so we do that. Monopoly, okay? The game Monopoly and passing Go. Like, when you collect the $200, if you land on Go, do you get it? Anybody with that one? No? Okay, you're, I'm with you. I think if you land on it, in fact, I, I pay double, you know? So if you want to play Monopoly with me, you land on Go, you get double uh, the payday, right? But again, that's not in the rules of Monopoly, and, and we like to say, you know, I enjoy Monopoly, but let's add some things. Who, who puts money in the middle so that if you land on free parking, you get the pot? That's not in the rules, right? Okay. How often do we do this with God's word, though? He says, this is the way that you're to live. Oh, well, you know, how am I supposed to know if I'm really compatible with the woman I'm engaged to, the man I'm engaged to, if we don't have sex first. Like, like, we just want to make sure that we start off on a good footing and we're all of a sudden playing a different game. Uh, when it comes to many different types of sins, we can sit there and we can rationalize away and we might be saying that we're playing with the same board, but we're playing a very different game because we're adding our own rules, our own excuses, our own get-out-of-jail-free cards based on what we want or what makes us comfortable or what we desire. Our culture does that all the time. And it's not the way he designed it to be. And that's why there's so much emptiness and hollowness in people's lives. Because they're creating their own rules, they're playing their own game, and they're not getting the full satisfaction because God designed us to only have that when we play according to his design the way our lives were meant to be. And so we need to follow these things. And it has to be done supernaturally, relying upon the Holy Spirit because we don't have the strength to do it because of our tendency and temptation to say, well, let's just add in like this little bonus if we do this or that, right? But I think there's one more thing in our passage that I think um, is an anchor and reveals the grace. Again, Jesus is saying, if you love me, you will follow my commands, right? And we can sit here and think about all the different commands within Scripture. And with that, we could create all kinds of lists. But listen to what he says next in verse 12. This is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. This is my command. Love one another. Now again, our world likes to take this and, and kind of rewrite the rules a little bit and, and change it into this other game that says love is all you need and love is love. And 
what they really mean is, I don't want to feel judged by you. And I want you to accept with 100% enthusiastically everything that I feel like I want to do. Then I'll feel loved by you. But what Jesus did, he says, love as I have loved you. We covered this uh, a few weeks back. But that's loving sacrificially. That's loving humbly. That's, that's loving with the desire for the absolute best for the other person, considering their needs greater than my own. And so then when we look at that, then there is truth to this aspect of love is all you need. Because he's saying, here's my command, love one another. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Like, that's what he pointed to. So when we look at that and we say love is all you need, and then we really dig into it, then we realize that love holds to truth and will not accept falsehood. Love is sacrificial. Love is obedient. Love looks to the needs of others. That, that the sin in my life that God is trying to convict me of, if I love you, I want it gone. So that it doesn't affect our relationship or my ability to help you. And because you love me, you want it gone. And vice versa. And we support each other in this. And, and so obedience comes out of love. And a desire for each one of us to live in the fullness, that Greek word teleos, uh, of joy in all living in the way that God has designed us to be. That's why we want to obey. It's because the outcome is the best outcome. And I love how it ends up here as he concludes this passage. He says, no one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you are my friends. Uh, if you do what I command you, and we kind of covered why and how that all works out. Verse 15, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit, that your fruit should remain, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. I, again, here, Jesus is so clearly establishing that he's not this God in heaven that's looking to smite people, that people, if they look at just the Old Testament, that it's the only concept that they get and they feel like God's the same. He's saying that's not the case anymore because of the restored relationship with mankind. Again, you look at this throughout Scripture and you, and you see the Garden of Eden, right? And, and the perfect relationship that humanity had with God. Okay? They sinned. They were cast out. That relationship was broken. Then through the entire Old Testament, we see humanity's interaction in a broken relationship with God that ended up requiring sacrifice, and there was punishment for those who sinned against God. We look at the Old Testament and the different things that happened, and it seemed very severe. Then Jesus comes, walks the earth, offers his life up as a sacrifice in order to restore the relationship between mankind and God. And for those whose relationship has been restored, we find him saying, you are my friends. 
because I've made everything known to you. Earlier in a passage, he said, my father's told me what I'm supposed to do. My father loves me and tells me everything that he's doing, and so therefore I do his will. I obey his commands. Jesus says in the passage we're looking at, he's saying, I love you the way that the Father loves me. You are my friends because our relationship has been restored through Jesus' sacrifice. In that, we're his friends. He then tells us what he's doing, how to do it, and then he gives us the Holy Spirit in order to do it. But for those who are not in relationship, that severity is still there, and we only have to go to the book of Revelation to see that. A lot of times people look at scripture and they'll say, well, the Old Testament's really harsh and I don't like that God and I don't like the God in Revelation, but, but Jesus in that little window of the New Testament is great. Same God through the whole thing. The only difference is the relationship and the perspective of that relationship. Human beings not in relationship with God is severity in the Old Testament, severity in Revelation. Human beings in Right relationship with God, Garden of Eden, amazing time. Our restored relationship with God right now, amazing time. For Christians in Revelation, we're all good. It's all about restored relationship and living according to the way that he designed us to be. Which is all obeying his commandments come down to. Father, we come before you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the way that you designed us to be. And Father, we ask for forgiveness in the many ways uh, that we begin to write our own rules at times, like in Monopoly, just to try and enjoy our life a little bit more or to get away with something. Uh, Father, we ask for forgiveness for those things. And we ask that you would uh, bring conviction in love, that you would guard us from shame and condemnation, but that conviction in love would be that desire that you promised to work within us to live according to your purposes, to live according to the way that you designed us to live, to do it that our lives might have absolute fulfillment and joy because we are who you died for us to be. Lord, I pray that you help us to pursue this in love and freedom and grace and mercy, but also with reverence and a serious approach to cutting out everything that would hinder and weigh us down. Lord, I thank you for the relationship uh, that you died to give to us. That you love us in the same love that the Father has to the Son. The same work that you did in saying, let's create a hummingbird. You say to us, and let's build my kingdom by sharing your faith, by doing this little action, we get to participate with you in your eternal work. And Lord, I'm grateful for that. Help us to walk boldly, in truth, in love, loving one another, and obeying your commands. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.